We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Laker Film Room podcast. Uh, that's right. My name is Mike Trudell, and Pete Zayas is not here. Therefore, you didn't hear the what's up, Laker fans. Uh, that's only for Pete to do, okay? So we don't start the podcast any other way. But we are very fortunate to be joined by one Darius Soriano. I noticed that Pete doesn't often use our last names. We are first name only, yeah. Mike. This is this is for all the insiders. We're all friends here. We're all friends <laughs> exactly. here. So I'm watching the first game last night, Milwaukee and Boston, and I start to – I have to pause because I something's going on with the family, and then the boys are begging to go play catch on the street, and it's about – the fourth quarter is about to start. I'm like, guys, this is kind of a tight game. But okay, so so I pause it, and that which, – which means cell phone off, right, because I don't want spoilers, and I go on the street and play catch for a while. And then I start to see – Pete and Darius texts coming in rapid in rapid succession. And I already know that that means the game is is wild. And by the way, it wasn't that close after like Boston was in pretty firm control um, after three quarters. So all of this is going on. You, of course, are watching live and uh, maybe you can you can take me through that group thread because I still didn't go back and look at it uh, as I was fearful of spoilers. So the way that that game started to unfold this series Honestly, Mike, like the defense is being played in this series. A 10-point lead can sometimes feel insurmountable. It's so hard for these teams to score. Both teams look just stuck in the mud whenever it's a half-court possession. Both teams are trying to hunt transition possessions as best they can. And both defenses are like, nope, nope, we're we're cutting that off. So... The Bucs are down, and it just feels like, oh, man, Boston. <laughs> like, they're going to hold on. Well, we talk to Pete tomorrow. He's going to be even more just like, ah, oh, uh, 18. Can't let these guys get 18. And so, but slowly, slowly but surely, the Bucks just start to chip away. Make a play here. They make a play there. They're really working the offensive glass. And... The part where it really turned was it was the three that Giannis hit to me 
where I, I think there was about a minute and 40 seconds left. The Bucks were down six. And honestly, Mike, anytime, anytime the lead is more than four under two minutes, I get the sense that one team's going to have to play perfect here. Like the team that's down, they have to play perfect because while that's a lot of time, the ability to run clock and literally just get one more point. Like if you score one more point during that stretch and you're up six, it's just like, okay, well, suddenly it's a three possession game again and you can't catch up. So when Giannis hits that three and the lead goes from six to three, and now it's only three with about a minute and a half left, you're in business at that point. So that was the part where I was like, oh my God, Giannis. And Mike, let's tangent here. Talk to me about what you're seeing from Giannis because he has been superhuman. Well, so Giannis is, I think there, there's some distance now between him and right the rest of the, the guys that were competing for whoever is, is holding the trophy for the best player in the world. And there are certain nights during the regular season, even when the Lakers were bad, where it still looks like LeBron. But over the course of the season, he wasn't the name that was in there most often. Sometimes it's Kevin Durant. Um, on a given night early in the season, it was Steph Curry. Certainly it was Nikola Jokic uh, on many nights. And then Joel Embiid. Like all of these guys had moments, but the guy that's been doing it the most consistently, and, yeah. and this is what I think showed in this game, is Giannis. And that is what to me ultimately defines who the best player is. It's the one that even on a bad night, even when he doesn't have a shot going, when nothing else is falling, um, he's still able to find ways to get things done. And now in this game, he ends up with 40 points, 16 to 27 from the field. He had a pair of threes, six to 10 from the free throw line. And then, you know, the rebounds are always going to be there. The assists, he had three of them this time where he was really looking more to attack in part because Boston is able to both defend him and stay home and they're not getting a bunch of wide open three point shots. But that to me is that the difference between Giannis right now and whoever is second is that every night he's up at a certain level. And because the Bucs shouldn't have won that game, they shouldn't be where they're at right now. They didn't they improve from last year. They Chris Middleton is out, right? They they don't have somebody off the bench that's coming in and giving them a huge lift, although Pat Connaughton uh was pretty big. So that to me is is what Giannis is about right now. And and he's the guy. He's the guy standing on top of the hill. So Giannis hits that three. The Bucs are in business at that point. And I just felt like Boston, and I saw this point made somewhere else. And, and so this is where I thought them not having that traditional lead guard, the guard who was groomed to basically be a, be a point guard, the guard who could organize them. And this is where Tatum not necessarily being the playmaker, like he he's made huge strides in that area this season, but he is still not a LeBron or a Luka type of guy where it's just like, okay, I'm organizing everyone and I'm that elite scoring guy. Right. And neither is Brown and neither is Marcus Smart. Right. Yeah, there isn't that there isn't that guy, which I think that fourth quarter showed. And and so I just thought that Boston just wasn't getting the quality of shots that they needed to get. And and I wish Pete was here to talk about Drew Holiday because he's been talking about Holiday in our text thread a lot. And just like the roller coaster of a ride that Drew Holiday is. But Boston's down three and the combination of the three that Holiday hit and then the offensive rebound off of the Giannis missed free throw where Portis gets it 
And then he hits this shot, Mike, that was reminiscent of the Artest putback against the Suns in 2010. I don't know. You were in the building, I'm sure, but where it wasn't the same sort of like dramatic sense where Ron came from all the way to the other side of the court, came and got that shot and then flipped it up high off off of the glass. But just the way that Portis secured the offensive rebound and then put it back and it wasn't a clean put back. It, it sort of laid there on the rim for a second. And ultimately, that single point was so important. The Bucks made every single play down the stretch. Let me just pause you on that for a second, because the Ron Artest put back now there. Here's the similarity. The Suns had no business winning that game. Like the Lakers were the better team. They were up the whole game. They were up big. Jason Richardson had banked in a three, right? It it would have been a complete garbage loss. And and now it's like, oh, the Suns were in every game. Like, no, the Lakers were better. Now, in this case, Milwaukee, I think, is closer to Boston than that Phoenix team was to the Lakers. But if Ron misses that shot and then Phoenix pulls something else out, right, then then you have what happened here. Yeah. Like, then you have all of a sudden and I'm so early in that quarter, I'm starting to think about, oh, I guess. So I know you guys had already watched it. If it had been live, I would have been texting Pete like, look, man, you better start to come to grips like Boston. Boston's in good shape to win the title now. Yes. Like, really, they're, I think they're better than Phoenix the way they're playing right now. And I we'll see what happens in the West. We're going to get to that in a second. But I think that whoever wins this series is better than Miami and Philly. I know Pete uh, still likes Miami. We'll have to let him speak for himself. But I that was when Boston went up 14, Darius, with 10-16 left in the fourth quarter. Should that's usually over. a wrap. That's Should a wrap. Over. And, and the thing, so you mentioned the Giannis three. To me, what keeps them in the game is they start to bomb a bunch of threes from that. So Pat Connaughton on the other end, three immediately, like leads at 11. Then Boston scores again. Uh, Giannis dunk, then Boston scores again. So they're still coming. They're still up by 11. And then Connaughton makes another three with 738 left. And that cuts it to eight. And now we're, it's a ball game again. Then Wesley Matthews hits a three a couple of moments later. So uh, later, and then eventually Drew Holiday hits a three. I don't know how many threes do they have. I'm going to look it up while, while you're talking here in the fourth quarter, but it had to be at least six or seven. And those early fourth quarter threes were to me what, what kept things alive for Milwaukee when they absolutely should have been dead and destroyed. So Mike, they were six for six on threes in the fourth quarter. The Bucks were. Think, think about that. Six for six in the fourth quarter and, and no, and they still needed an offensive rebound on a missed free throw uh, to get the lead. And then another, Bo- and then two Boston turnovers. Yes. And that's after going six for six from three. So six for six on threes, crazy stat here. Six for six on threes, four for 15, Mike, on two point shots. And so literally nothing else is falling, oh, but damn. they are and, just and Boston didn't threes. hit a three. Boston didn't attempt a three in the fourth quarter either just saw that so i this was a tweet that was going around actually let's take a break here and when we come back i want to talk a little bit more about this game before we transition to the west we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So, Mike, there was a tweet that was going around the win probability for Boston and just how it literally looked like the stock market crash right before, like right before the Great Depression. Like it was riding high, riding high. They're in like the 90, high 90s percentile. And then suddenly it just falls off of a cliff. And the point I've been making about having the best player and how important that is for slotting purposes and just allowing everyone else to sort of play to a level that's comfortable to them. I think Holiday is the guy who is having to play a little bit above his head, especially offensively, because they really need his scoring. And he knows that that aggressiveness is needed from him. And so he's not having the most efficient shooting nights and and Boston's defense is so good. But Giannis being able to basically say, look, I'll just absorb more usage. I don't, am I going to be as efficient? I'm not. But it doesn't matter because he's he's good enough and plays with enough force. And so that's the question I wanted to put to you about Giannis is that could he be doing this it, the closest thing we saw to this was sort of like Durant in last year's playoff, where that was more of like a skill player, right? But Giannis is doing this on, like, he's just putting his head down, man, and getting to the rim. Like, how many layups did he have? And he's got, like, Grant Williams and Al Horford, and these dudes are just draped all over him, and he's still finding ways to finish at the basket. Yeah, he's got the best set. So Boston has the best probably six defenders they go deeper with good individual and team defenders than a team that I can remember in, in recent history, really. I mean, the Warriors, maybe, during their run, 
Uh, and, you know, when they're going Clay and Iguodala and Draymond and like Sean Livingston, you know, and they're they're just bringing one big, long guy that can stay with you on the perimeter and, and is strong enough to hold up down low. You know, even Harrison Barnes early in that run had a little bit of that and he was kind of the weak spot. So their weakest defender oftentimes is like Jalen Brown, right, in their starting five. That's ridiculous. And then they can bring Grant Williams if he's not starting, if Robert Williams is starting off the bench. And he's one of the better defenders in the league. Like they are just completely loaded on that end. And so Giannis, he doesn't even get the benefit of, you know, being able to just easily go by somebody on the perimeter, although he can because he's Giannis and he just takes that one step. But then there's the help. Then there's a bunch of dudes that like to the flop, like Smart and even Williams will do that sometimes. And that's a whole nother thing. Which I thought has Smart was in Giannis's head a little yeah. bit after that charge that he drew. Giannis was, wasn't even really attacking Smart. Yeah. And so there's a lot going on. And yet, 40 points on 27 shots. So, so again, it's the, it's the offense is going to be the best offense is going to beat the best defense and the best athlete is often going to just find a way. And that's what Giannis has been able to do throughout the course of this series. And I just, I, I really do though, have a lot of respect. And I think that people, it took people a long time to get over the way that Boston started the season and all yeah. of the chatter about should they trade Tatum or Brown? And, and the easy answer to that was like, no, <laughs> that's idiotic. But they started to play really well right around the new year. And it just, again, it took everybody a while, I think, to really buy that. And sometimes teams reveal who they are if you just watch them. And they've kind of been coming. And it's just, it's still a surprise and a credit to Giannis. And then, you know, to, certainly to Holiday for, for Holiday. those defensive plays. But Holiday also put them in a spot last game where maybe they would have come into this game not needing a win had he played better and sure. just taken some better shots and been in, in better control in the uh, the game four in Milwaukee. So it's a it's a complicated, exciting series, and I don't think it's over yet. But the problem for Boston now is that just expecting that Giannis almost alone isn't going to be able to go off for another forty five in one of these two games is is tough and. But I don't think they I don't think it's above Boston going in to win game six in Milwaukee. I, I just think that if Milwaukee hadn't have won this game, then the series was a wrap no matter what. The series is so close. I did want to talk about Holiday for one last second. So nine for twenty-four from from the field. So again, he's not shooting well. They're really challenging him on his drives. So everything that he's taking, there's not a simple shot that he's taking. Right. There's no open shot. There's no easy defender to switch against. All of their bigs can move their feet reasonably well. The guy who struggles the most with that is probably Tice. And even Tice is like nimble enough to sort of slide and stay connected enough so that when the help comes, everyone is in position to defend. But Holiday, the block against Smart at the end of the game, that seals the win. Basically, and then the steal at the end was was just like the cherry on the Sunday. But his ability to make big defensive plays, right? So we talk a lot about a guy's ability to hit the big shot, but Holiday has made some just incredible defensive plays over the last twelve months. Like I, I think of that that steal that he got against Booker in the finals right where he helped off his man again and wrenched that ball away from from Booker and then that leads to that lob that is just like 
how do you even throw that lob to Giannis, right? When the game is sort of in the balance there. But Holiday's ability to be like a true impactful two-way player, like that's where I feel like he is, he is just really showing his worth. And and it's why I think for you, you've talked about this a lot that that like, no, just give me guys that want to compete defensively. And then we'll figure out the rest when you have a star the caliber of Giannis. And and I think that the Lakers could use some of that, right? Like they're not going to get a player the quality of Drew Holiday, of course, but but instructive about like these are the sort of guys that you really want and need when you want to compete at the highest level. Yeah, and part so part of my bias in in why I like basketball that way is just growing up watching the Jordan Bulls and, and feeling like that that team always just could completely shut you down if they needed to. And then they'd always find a way to score. And, and of course it helped to have Michael Jordan who could always get any shot that he wanted, but that team, you just couldn't score on them. You could not score on that team with their athleticism, with their size. They didn't have knockdown shooters everywhere. They had a couple, you know, they had Steve Kerr in the later run. Um, they had Craig Hodges in the earlier run. Like they had some, they had some bang, yeah, packs bang, packs and yeah. some knockdown guys for sure. But for the most part, like they were just big and, and versatile and athletic and then the team that I – the first team that won the title that I was actually covering, of course, the, the Lakers in 9 and 10, they were just massive. They were massive inside. They were massive on the wing. Uh, like the only guy that was quote-unquote small was Derek Fisher, and he was a fire hydrant out yeah. there. And you couldn't screen fish on the perimeter. He'd either – he'd just knock your ass down or run around it. So there wasn't – you weren't creating all kinds of advantages on that team, and then they'd find a way to score on the other end. They'd post up or Kobe would go one-on-one. Like there – this wasn't this – um you know, like the seven seconds or less or like the beautiful game offense that I'm sure that stuff works for some teams, but I, and then the night, the 1920 Lakers, same thing, like yep. just massive, incredibly versatile defensively. And so those are the teams that I've kind that's the way that I think is the best way to win playoff basketball. Yeah. And so, so holiday and Giannis, and now two, well, two chances to win one game, right? So I'll be interested to see Boston's been, a very resilient team. And this series has been so close, just like you were saying. I do not think Boston is going to fold. I still think that while Milwaukee should be slightly favored at this point, it's by no means to me like, oh, they're guaranteed. Um, This could easily go seven, and then in game seven, anything can happen. But let's go to break here, because when we come back, we want to talk about a game that had a totally different vibe than the game that we just discussed and um, we'll get back to Warriors Grizzlies. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mike, Warriors Grizzlies, talk to me. Yeah, I, I'll confess, this is the first game this postseason that I just turned it off at a certain point. I, I, I very, very rarely, because there's always something going on that I want to see, and maybe I want to see, even if it's, the, if it's garbage time, I want to see who is playing well in garbage time, and maybe something can be carried over. And instead, I was like, no, so just so, midway through the f- third quarter. Um, I was just done watching it. And my my level of concern here for the Warriors is not so much about this series. I do think they'll they'll rally around the flag and win game six. So I'm I'm not I'm not saying the Memphis can't win that game, but I do think the Warriors end up winning it. But the thing that I was thinking about was Steph Curry. And Steph Curry the difference between Steph now and Steph the first couple of months of the season to me is pretty big and he's still a great player, even, even at the level that he's at now, but he's not, he's not in that just complete cheat code mode where yeah. he is just taking over games and he's taking so many threes in terms of volume and they're still going in at a 40% clip. It's just not. And I don't know if it's, if it was the injury that he's still coming back from. I don't know if it's some level of fatigue, maybe the age coming up, maybe the size, maybe the amount, just the season and how many teams target him and go at him. But I haven't seen Steph be that what we saw Giannis be, for example, against Boston that we just discussed. And I, I really am curious for your take because I know that your wife's a big Warriors fan. Of course, you live up in the Bay. You and I have, have watched probably I've watched more Warriors games in the last 10 years than any other team besides the Lakers. And I just am, that's my concern is Steph in, do they have enough with that level of Steph to go all the way? And I am now pretty skeptical, not just because of that game, but because that was one of those times where let's say everything else isn't working and your team is flat and you're mailing in this game and give Memphis credit. Of course, they come out super aggressive. And, but usually that, that could have been a game where Steph on his own almost can just hit a couple threes to stem that early tide. And, and I just didn't see it. He's having issues getting the type of separation that he would normally get, particularly off of the dribble. And teams have been doing this to him a lot. They've been turning him into a driver, right? Drive, 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 drive. But you you talked about this a fair amount this throughout this season, about one of the reasons why Memphis made the leap that they did. Obviously, it's because of Morant. But secondary to that was just the leap defensively that Jaron Jackson made. Right now, if Jackson could do this more often without fouling as much as he's fouled and he's been a habitually high foul rate guy throughout his NBA career, then it's why he's been in discussion for defensive player of the year this year, especially. But when Steph is driving and when any of the Warriors are driving, they're looking over their shoulder a lot. And they're looking to see where Jackson is. Is is he lurking? They are coming to jump stops and they're pivoting and they are passing out 
a lot of times just because Jackson is such a threat to come and block shots. I don't know how many blocks he had last game, Mike, but the game before that, I think he had four or five. And he is just a terror in the paint defensively. And so they're forcing Steph to drive a lot more. They they are throwing a lot of size at him. They are packing the paint against them. And the Warriors are playing more non-shooters. And they are making you... And the defense is making everyone sort of like, okay, prove it, right? And in the past, Steph and Clay and some other random role player, they would prove it. They just hit enough shots, especially Clay. And not having that same high level Clay and Draymond basically being a like, I'm never shooting player. I think someone posted a stat about Draymond, but I think he's got 28 points all series. Yeah, not even looking towards the basket. He's yeah. not. He's he's passing out of everything. And even though that can create screening opportunities for him, right? Because if you sag off of him that much, he can screen and they can do dribble handoff actions. And then the big is now below the level of the ball. The Grizzlies are... They play with such motor defensively that they're still getting around these picks. They're still... And because they're playing Steph with size they're still sort of pressuring him from behind in ways that he feels their presence and it's turning him more into a driver. And then if he's not going to finish at the rim or he has to pass out of those drive situations and try to relocate, they have not lost him. They've, they've had very few miscommunications defensively. They still pop up, but they're not nearly at the level that they need them to be in order for him to really get going. And Look, like what's made the Warriors dynamic is it's not just Steph, it is Clay. And then in the past, it was Durant. Now, this time it's Poole. But if you become over reliant on Poole, Poole's also a negative defensive player. What I'm seeing is a Memphis team that has confidence against the Warriors. They match up well against them overall. And Memphis is is just like, sure, we'll take your best shot. And now we're going to punish you inside. And you're small. You're not as athletic. You can't blitz us. And I see a Memphis team that's just comfortable yeah, this series. Yeah, for sure. and, and that's a difference for them than what they were even against the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves made them uncomfortable in, in a lot of ways. And the Warriors have not been able to replicate that. Yeah, major physical athletic advantages and major energy advantages. Let me try to pull in this year's Lakers for a second with this year's Warriors because I talked about Steph and that's the focus, but Clay is clearly diminished some. And how could he not be from when we last saw him play? Like he's basically been out for three years. So he's not, but he's not the same player right now. He still has the same mindset and he's still playing kind of the same way, but he just isn't moving quite as quickly on defense. And, you know, the shots, you're not quite as scared you know, when the shots go up. So so he's just not quite clay. And, and again, as expected, Draymond is diminished. Uh, defensively, he's still pretty much there. Uh, still a genius on that end, still making plays, still got the hands. And, and organizing-wise, he's still there, intelligence. But he he's just not as bouncy and not as much of a threat um, as he used to be. And where the, where the Warriors, I think, have kind of made their money this year is that they really nailed a lot of the moves on the margin. 
And, you know, they got Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell. But with that pick or with that in that trade, they also got a lottery pick that turns into Jonathan Kaminga, um, who is an exciting young player. And, and like it, they're, they're starting him to try to make up for some of that athleticism gap that exists with them in Memphis. And then they got Jordan Poole, who they draft late. And he emerges into what he's become this year, even if he had his worst game. He was one for six uh, in game five. And then, or in, uh, yeah, game five. And so then you've got Otto Porter Jr., the type of wing who he also had a rough game, but the previous game, he was brilliant. And he's been pretty good for them all year. And, and boy, couldn't the Lakers have used him. And then they get, uh, and now injured, Gary Payton the second. Yeah. So they've they've nailed a lot of these moves on the periphery that I think have masked some of what we've seen from a loss standpoint or from a they're not what they used to be with Draymond and Clay and Steph. And I kind of saw thinking about the Lakers scenario, it to me was remarkable almost how how little LeBron lost and how little he has lost from his prime prime. It even just compared to Clay and to Steph and to uh Draymond and then Anthony Davis, when healthy and on the court, has still not dropped off much. Now, the, the jump shot from the bubble, that's the one thing that I think is, is the, discussed way too much because everybody shot better uh, in the bubble. But he's still like when he and LeBron were on the court, they still look like LeBron in AD. And, and maybe it's just because we're, I'm watching more closely that this Warriors team is in the playoffs and the Lakers aren't and my memory is fading. But that the difference to me for the Lakers stars was more the pieces around them not fitting, whereas the Warriors did get that right. But against yeah. a good team. You know, we're seeing now that if your stars aren't up to that full star level, that that's that still makes the ultimate difference. Yeah. And this is where I'll be interested to see what Steph has in him in terms of just like they're just throwing a lot of stuff at him, man. And I don't think that he's necessarily fallen off as much as like this is just a really difficult matchup for him if other guys around him aren't going to help facilitate what he does right because they are not treating clay the same and they see pool on the court and they're attacking pool right and so the other thing is too is they used to be able to hide steph defensively but this series steph has to defend bane and Bane has been banged up for the first part of the series. He was dealing with with some back issues. But in this game five, Bane looked as good physically as he has all series. And he was an impact player this past game. And so you're asking Steph now to chase around Bane. They're running pin downs and floppy actions for Bane. He runs some screen and rolls. He is a physical guard. He's, he's strong. And, and so they're just running Steph around and, and it takes a physical toll for Steph to well, screen as much as he screens and for him to run around as much as he does offensively too. So you think there's the, there's a real contrast then from when the Warriors were last making their playoff runs and, you know, clay was still peak clay defensively and taking yeah. on those assignments and Iguodala was playing the big minutes. And now instead at times you have Jordan Poole on the court, right? And and even that alone, even having a, a defender that's weaker than Steph means that he's having to do more? Yeah, I think that that's a part of it. Like, look, man, some of these other guys that they're playing, I'm all for playing Kaminga, but he's a rookie. And they're putting him in situations where, yeah, go guard Jaron Jackson Jr. It's just like, yeah, maybe not so much. 
right? Like, I'll be very interested to see what sort of lineup shifts the Warriors do or do not execute. Because this past game, I thought that Memphis's physicality really wore them down this game. And if that trend continues, Memphis is still very much in this series, even without Jaw. Because Golden State is at such a size and athleticism disadvantage. Memphis is now starting Adams, but it's not like they're making them pay for starting Adams. He's just going to well to the glass. They're not they're not leveraging him in pick and roll actions in order to like make him defend Steph in space. There's all of this stuff that you would hope that they would be able to turn on Memphis if if you're a Golden State fan, that they could turn on Memphis, but they're not doing it. They didn't do it in game five, that's for sure. And 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 so when you have to play players who maybe are not up to the task that they're asked to do, which I think Kaminga in the starting lineup is that pool defensively, at least. They're playing Damian Lee now. Iguodala isn't there. There's just less defensive talent that they have at their disposal. And on top of that, Memphis is just coming at them with more size, more athleticism, fresher and younger legs. And what Golden State really needs is just one outlier shooting game from a couple of their guys. They got that from Otto Porter in game four, the game that they probably shouldn't have won again, but but they did. And now Porter's hurt. He sat out the second half of the last game. So it's looking tricky for Golden State. Like, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be favored. They should be. They are going home. But every other day now, Mike, like it's on an every other day series. And we talked about this a few days days ago. All the pressure's on them in this game six. Yeah. No one expects them to win. So a little transition point here. Mike Brown, right? So Steve Kerr's got COVID. Mike Brown sort of thrust into the head coaching chair and Mike Brown, the newly hired Sacramento Kings head coach. It's, it's an interesting thing right now because he is in the fire and getting some, I don't want to say exposure or being exposed. Like Mike Brown's a, he's a solid NBA head coach, but it's interesting to me to see him now. And do you think the Kings are a little bit like, oh, like what's going on here with, with Mike Brown and not many adjustments, Mike Brown and playoff environment, Mike Brown, because it was just a thought that I think a lot of people have been having as they've seen the Warriors sort of struggle a bit more than what, what they would anticipate with Steve Kerr out and Facing a Memphis team that doesn't have jaw right now. <laughs> yeah, it's some of it has to be on Mike Brown, the way that they played, not just this game, but the last game. And there's definitely there's definitely a substitute teacher vibe where Mike Brown is not going to come in and like he doesn't have the respect in the way that Draymond and Steph and Clay even. And, and these are good basketball players who generally know what they're doing and all that, but it's, it's not like some hardcore assistant who's coming in to yell at them. And like Kerr is the one that has that type of relationship with Draymond, right? Who can yell at it? Brown is, I just don't, I don't, I don't know if any assistant coach can come in with a veteran team like that and really get a lot out of it. So on the one hand, I'm not putting a ton on Mike Brown, but yes, I would have some concern. 
And that would have been whether, regardless of what Mike Brown did in this game, just because of the game's past. But there's one other connecting thought that I was trying to put together about this Warriors team and what this series is like and, and how much of it is about the matchup. Because when I was up there in the Bay for the last Laker Warrior game, I was talking to some people around the Warriors team. And a lot of this was was about seeding. And I may have even mentioned this to, to you guys, whether in the chat or on the podcast. But basically, they like their matchup with Phoenix a lot better than they like their matchup with Memphis. And they weren't excited to be in the same side of things um, as Memphis because they're aware of what that gap in athleticism and youth and the no fear for Memphis. And so that's one thing. Then Tyus Jones, who's really good. And we talked about this two pods ago. They can't play defense the same way against Tyus Jones that they play against the Grizzlies when Jaws on the court, because they can't back into their sort of their shell basically with everybody, at least a foot close to the paint and Jaron Jackson, Jr. Sure, you want to shoot some threes. Ja, you want to shoot some threes. That's fine. But you guys aren't going to get all of these layups. Well, when Tyus Jones is in there, they can't, they have to get out more. And once they get out, then their athleticism is exposed even more. So the jaw injury, while ultimately still, of course, a very bad thing for Memphis in this series, I think hurts them less than some people may have realized where they're like, oh, jaw's out. Series is over. You know, Golden State doesn't even have to try hard. And they haven't. They haven't tried hard in games four and games five. So where, but where I'm holding out, though, is that they are now. Now we're going to see them try hard. And Memphis is going to two, and it's it's hard to turn that on, Darius, but I think they can do it enough to win that game. There's just, I think you've said it, that this is no longer a guarantee, though, because of these specific matchup advantages that Memphis has. Yeah, Memphis, in losing job, Memphis has found a different version of their identity that allows them to match up in ways against the Warriors that just are problematic for the Warriors. They still bring that to the table when jaw is in the game, but... They lean into it more without jaw, and those things just give the Warriors problems. So let's wrap up there. We've got a couple of game sixes tonight. I'll be interested to see if there's a game seven in the mix for either of those series. I don't know if Dallas is going to be able to survive against the Suns, and I don't know if Philly has one last shot in them to push Miami, but... We'll cover those games and more next time on the Lakers Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tap to Alvin Gentry. 
That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.